Shalom and greetings, ladies and gentlemen. I'm John McKee, editor of Messianic Apologetics, and along with my co-host, Judah Hamango of the blog, Kinati Letzion, we would like to welcome you to this episode of the Messianic Walk. Hi, folks. I'm Judah. Like John said, I run Kinati Letzion blog, a Messianic blog. And I've been running that for <clears throat> a long time. Uh, and I also run uh, MessianicRadio.com as well. Right now, we have certainly here in the United States of America, but also around the world, many, many people who are concerned about that question of when are we in human history? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so on this episode, we're going to talk about the Messianic movement as the end time move of God. Now, our official description for this episode, mm-hmm. because of its unique focus on Israel, its significant mission declaring Yeshua to the Jewish community, and even helping non-Jews coming to an appreciation of Torah, today's Messianic movement, has widely considered itself to be the end-time move of God because of current events throughout 2020. The need for Messianic people to have a realistic understanding of the end times is quite apparent. We know that just because of all the things that have taken place in 2020, which are, for most of us, unprecedented, the lockdowns, social distancing, And some of the things which have taken place as an immediate consequence of election 2020, that questions are being asked and discussions are taking place. So who are we to not add our opinions to the whole mix of ideas? Yeah, we've certainly been exposed to a lot of uh, end times thoughts and and prophecies and ideas throughout the messianic movement but it seemed good for john and i especially like you said with 2020 uh with all the things happening um certainly in the u.s even more with the election that um that we would discuss some of these issues and um as we've done in previous podcasts to try to avoid some of the um some of the, the the negative things that have maybe some of the bad fruit that has come out of end times focuses in the messianic movement um and and come to kind of a a more stable and good fruit bearing understanding i think that that's an excellent approach to this whole subject matter because there are a lot of people who don't want to talk about this Mm -hmm. and the reality is is that when people in positions of influence don't talk about these matters somebody else will mm-hmm. and that person whomever he or she is is in all probability going to address it poorly or mm-hmm. irresponsibly mm-hmm. i mean we're dealing yeah, or- with a very you know a very important issue as it concerns the eventual return of yeshua to this planet and mm-hmm. the resolution to all the problems of fallen humanity the sin the injustice, the corruption, you know, on and on and on and on and on. So I know many, many years ago, I took the approach that 
rather than getting depressed about the end times, mm. instead, we need to recognize that the end times are, particularly as Daniel chapter 9 says, they're about final resolution to the holy city and the holy place. And, ah, interesting. And the people mm. of God. So, yes, there are these things anticipated regarding the man of lawlessness, the false prophet, you know, the mm-hmm. new world order, all of that. Okay, you know, I'll concede that that's all really, really bad. But is the principal focus of the end times the forces of darkness, or is it instead the forces of light? Mm-hmm. And if we can begin to flip that and recognize that really the purpose of the end times are to bring the people of God into their fullness and into their purpose, then hopefully we can be more solution oriented and we can't all get depressed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm, I've been influenced um, in two, two ways about end times thinking um, from two different teachers that have, have, it's been positive. It's put it, the focus on the light one. I like what you said, John, with regards to the messianic movement being the end times move of God. Uh, Avner Bosky, a believer in Israel, uh, he and his wife have a music ministry um, but he said that, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, that Israel is really the key to revival for around the world um, that will usher in the return of Messiah. Um, and so his his focus has been salvation of the Jewish people. And I think that ties into what we're saying here. And that's, that's a great light that's going to happen. You know, Paul says it'll be like life from the dead. Um, second, second thing uh, for me personally, that's just, I don't know, influenced me really positive to think positively about the Lord's return is uh, Daniel Botkin, uh, messianic teacher, uh, maybe more on the Hebrew root side, but really good guy. Love this, love this gentleman. He said, you know, from the Gospels after Messiah was raised, he kind of surprised his disciples. You know, he appeared uh, as a gardener and then appeared here and kind of took them by surprise. And there was that joy and excitement that the disciples had that they would see the risen Lord. And Botkin said, you know, maybe it's the same with us that we should have um, some joy and and actual excitement and joyful anticipation uh, that we may see the Lord. Uh, And that's, that's a, that's a bright thing in my life, you know, so I don't, I don't look at the end times as, uh, as some negative thing with all these bad things that's going to come because we know uh, the Lord's going to win and the Lord will take care of his people, uh, whether in this life or in the resurrection. Um, so to me, it's a great light. And so I'm glad we can offer our perspective and, and, um, and kind of focus on that, on that bright side. Well, one of the things I know about, especially what is happening now in our current season of uncertainness in the world mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people wanting to know, you know, the results of election 2020 and everything else, we yeah. as the people of God, and especially those of us who are a part of today's Messianic community, we have to go before the Lord and ask the very significant question of, God, what would you have me do right now? What is the purpose for my life? Because regardless of who wins or who doesn't win this presidential election, and, you know, there are believers all over the world who are praying for the United States of America because they Mm. do believe that America is the last great hope of humanity. Mm. And if America goes the wrong way, then it's like the clock is ticking all of a Mm -hmm. sudden. 
Yeah, yeah, but I understood. Really, what, Lord, would you have us do? What would you have me do? And that requires an important spiritual inventory that requires us to, uh, you know, in some cases, have a dramatic event. Uh, I know, I haven't talked about it that much, but in 2019, last year, I yeah. had a dramatic event that mm. took place. Uh, I was getting somewhat apathetic about being in Messianic ministry. I was getting mm-hmm. very negative about my life, and the Lord intervened, and there was a dramatic event that took place, mm. and I had to conduct a significant spiritual inventory. And it was very, very important because uh, little did I know going into the year 2020 that some of the things that were going to happen happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a very different view going into those events that I seriously doubt I would have had if I had not had that dramatic event previously. That one event understood. Yeah. So the Lord really got your attention. Praise God. Um, and I think he's, he's doing that with some of the things that have gone on in 2020 with all the shakeups. All right. Well, to get into our subject matter more specifically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Messianic movement, the end time move of God. Now, uh, for some of you, this is not going to come as a surprise, but some of you, this will. Uh, one of our ministries, Messianic Apologetics, Outreach Israel's uh, principal publications is, of course, the workbook, The Messianic Walk, where we get this the title of our show from mm-hmm. and the subtitle of it is the end time move of god and now now this workbook was put together uh mainly for my local congregations new foundations or new members class and it comes from my notes having taught that class for two to three years but it actually the title of it goes back to an experience i had uh about six years ago uh my family had just moved back here to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, it had been not even two years out here. And we, as a ministry, we attended and exhibited at the MJAA Heartland Regional Conference in Grapevine, which is just immediately north of Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And, okay, this was great. Um, you know, there were some significant people of note in the Messianic movement there. Mainly, Michael Brown was a guest speaker. I got to, in, I got oh, to sure. introduce to him for the first time. Mm-hmm. But David Chernoff, uh, who is, you know, a lot of people would consider him to be Messianic royalty. This, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He gave this very significant presentation, and uh, he said that the messianic movement is the end time move of God. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden my mother and I were looking at each other. We were like, you know, jabbing each other. Yeah. We've been saying this for years. We can't believe Ah, this. And uh, I absolutely believe that. I'm not sure how much some of the messianic Jewish leaders who say it, believe it sometimes, Uh, but mm. I do believe that because one of the things that's very, very important about the messianic movement is, okay, we should absolutely, as the people of God, be concerned with the salvation of the lost, whomever they are. Yes. You know, in all corners of planet Earth. But the salvation of Jewish people, that is innately connected with what Paul says in Romans 9, 10, and 11. 
Mm-hmm. That's and right. There is an there is a there is an anticipated salvation of Jewish people to come in the days immediately prior to the Lord's return. So the salvation yes. of Jewish people is in, innately connected to the whole end time scenario. And so uh, as we get into the subject matter, you know, our faith community that we're a part of, whether mm-hmm. we like it or not, is connected to the end times. Now, yep. there are people who take it the wrong way and they use it to sell books and they use it to promote sensationalism. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean we can just dismiss the subject matter altogether. Indeed. Yep. We have to talk about it. And yeah. that's, I think, some of what we're trying to facilitate in our episode today. And I must admit uh, to you, John, and, and to our listeners here that I've been one who's often avoided this subject because of all of the uh, craziness around it, um, the sensationalism, like you mentioned. Um, and I've just been like, hey, for me, I'm just focusing on how to live my life today and haven't often discussed the end. Um, but I think, well, I've written some, earlier, you know, I've written some notes to these questions that probably mm-hmm. going to shock you. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm, I'm not, well, you got my interest peaked. Hopefully right. the so, as well. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't show all my cards all at once for mm-hmm. these shows. Okay. okay. All right. Well, we'll see. Um, I certainly have, um, probably thoughts that differ from your own, um, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a good discussion. All right. So with that said, we start with our first question. Yeah. What has been some of your experience with Messianic people when the whole topic of the end times is brought up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um I'll just be honest. The first thing that came to mind uh, when we kind of discussed this uh, and we we talked about what we were going to discuss on this podcast, I saw this question. I thought, man, the first thing that comes to my mind is bad stuff. Um, I hate to say that, but it's it's real Um, for me. um, I remember when I was young, I was exposed to a Hebrew roots teacher. I, I can say his name by the name of Michael Rude. Um, who had a lot of um, hmm, sensationalistic teachings, but also specifically around the end times. I, I remember him making predictions about um, things that would happen, whether it, around the Lord's return, um, that a greater exodus would happen by a certain date. Uh, the temple would be rebuilt by this year. Um, you know, a red heifer would be found first and you know, all these things that just never came to pass. Um, Oh, a great war in the Middle East would happen was another one. You know, all of these things, and they didn't come to pass. It set in my mind this real negative precedence, like, oh, man, when people talk about the end times, I'm just going to dismiss them outright because it never comes true. I've seen this with some family members, too. Um, uh, Close family member, I dearly love, wonderful woman. Um, a few years ago said, yeah, I just, I feel the Lord's going to come back this September. And I think this is like in June of that year or something. And I'm like, well, you know, humans are famous for misinterpreting prophecy. That, that was my response to her. Cause I, I didn't, I didn't want to be mean and say you're wrong. But at the same time, I, I just, I was so jaded towards, um, I don't know, the sensationalism, the date setting uh, and just the reality that we don't know. We humans don't know. So your question is, you know, from my experience, 
uh, with Messianic people, it's been largely negative. There's been the, the date setting, um, the things that never came true. Um, I've also seen some disputes about the rapture, uh, as I'm sure you're right. aware, John. Um, and this is in Christianity, too. This isn't like specific to the Messianic right. movement, but a lot of disputes about the rapture. Um, I, I attend a church on Sunday, and um, they're going through Revelation right now. And um, just a couple of weeks ago, the pastor had said, hey, um, you know, the Jewish people. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. What does, what do, you know, evangelical Christians think about the Jewish people and the rapture? And he goes, well, they just refuse to believe. They refuse to, uh, they refuse Christ. And because of that, um, they're going to have to go through the tribulation while we Christians are taken up in the air with the Lord. Uh, so he's a pre-trib rapture guy. Um, and I, I was like, man, you know, there's just more disputes about this that I can't take any hard position on it. And I just felt, I felt uneasy about what he was teaching. Uh, so this has been my experience. There's, there's a lot of hard opinions. Um, people really have strong beliefs about this. They get it wrong almost every time in my experience, you know, whether it's prediction or prophecy or something's going to happen to get it wrong. And it's made me become very jaded to when people talk about the end times and maybe I'm not the only one, you know, maybe some of our audience feels the same. Well, one of the things I think is absolutely imperative is we just, we have to talk about this. Mm -hmm. We can't avoid it. Agreed. Agreed. You know, we had a, a little discussion before, uh, and I mentioned some of the differences of approach as it involves my own family, my father's side and my mother's side as it concerns some you know, significant controversies or dramatic events that erupted. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. ultimately what it resulted in when my, when myself and my sisters were raised is that we were not sheltered from any you know, significant things that could dramatically affect our family. And ultimately what that came, came down to is that when my father got cancer in 1992, um, you know, we were pretty much told everything that was going on and, you know, we were at his deathbed and then, Mm. you know, we were involved intimately with the whole funeral to the point where my mother still comes to me, you know, over 28 years later. Now, what did we do at the funeral home? And what was the Mm. casket showroom? You know, (laughs) I mean, she, I mean, you know, like, like I've got one of these photographic memories that memorizes everything and she just Uh, blacked it out. I see. Um, I see. Mm -hmm. So, so for you, it's been good to, to just put things out in the open is what you're getting at. Yeah. It's better for us to just discuss this and even plan on a certain level, worst case scenario, than you know, put it off because what if, what if mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now uh, you're going to, you're going to find some parallel to what you just said regarding this question. So okay, to repeat okay. it for our audience, yes. What has been some of your, in this case, my experience with yes. messianic people when the whole topic of the end times is brought up. Uh-huh. Okay. So my family has been a part of the messianic movement now for 25 years. Yeah, and, praise God. Um, 
one of the things that, that is very kind of interesting, you know, it started in Dallas and in some ways it's kind of ended in Dallas. Well, I won't say yeah. ended, but it's it's continued um, in Dallas. It's consummated back mm-hmm. back here in the mm-hmm. DFW mm-hmm. area. Yeah. So uh those of you who know my family story, I'm not gonna go into it that much. When my mother got remarried in nineteen ninety-four, uh, Mark and Margaret went on a tour to Israel at in December. And on the tour to Israel, the Lord showed them that they needed to basically keep the feasts. And uh, so it took hmm. some time and took some figuring out. But by the fall high holidays of, of 1995, we were plugged into um, a Messianic congregation here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Yeah. Now, what you often don't hear is that about a month before our family entering into the Messianic Jewish movement, so we're talking September-ish, 1995, all of the members of our family through some reason or another, in my case, it was finally reading Matthew chapter 24, just reading the text. Mm. We all went from being pre-tribulationists to post-tribulationists. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, and, <laughs> okay. And, this, and, and for me, it was not, okay, it was reading Matthew 24 and it was like, well, you know, verses 29 to 31 after the tribulation of those days he will gather his elect it's like no wait a second Uh, that doesn't sound like pre-trib to me and i was also reading this is before the left behind books came out but i was reading a, a a novel called the third millennium which was very popular at the time and then pat robertson came out with a novel called the uh the end of the age and and one represented a pre-tribulational perspective and Pat sure. Robertson's novel represented a post-tribulational perspective. So I had to deal mm-hmm. with this. And then mm-hmm. I acquired some other books. I mean, this was before the internet. It was before all these things. And it was like the Lord supernaturally led us to more of a post-trib phenomenon. More so, it's like, well, why all, why is all this information given to God's people in the Bible if we're not going to be here? You know, it was that kind of just logical. Ah, ah okay, sure. Yeah. That's, it that's wasn't going into any kind of timeline or it's like, why are we told all this stuff if, if we're just going to be removed from this? Um, yeah, that's and, that's fascinating. That's that's a good perspective. Yeah. Okay. Good question there. All right. So having shifted more toward a post-trip perspective in 1996, um, this was in May of 1996, I was finishing up my freshman year of high school. So you can do the math on how old I am now. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, My stepfather, Mark Huey, he was away on some business trip. Uh, My mother and I attended a special Bible study at the Biblical Arts Center here in Dallas. It's adjacent to the North Park Mall, if any of you know DFW geography. And there was a certain Messianic Jewish speaker who was giving a very dramatic presentation on why in 1993, the peace agreement between Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin at the White House, Bill Clinton, initiated the seven-year accord, you know, the seven-year tribulation. And who was that speaker? Okay, everybody got their depends on. um, (laughs) Because if that's the case, then the then the three and a half year mark was coming up in early 1997. Mm-hmm. Well, it's somebody who you all have heard the name of before. It was Monty Judah. 
Uh, from yeah. mm-hmm. the Oklahoma City area. Someone yep. had invited him down to DFW and he gave yep. this presentation. Yep. And you know, Monty Judic gave the declaration that if the abomination of desolation doesn't happen in March of 1997, that he was to be dismissed as a false prophet. No way. Wow. Now, now, we're not here to get into all the other stuff that he's been involved with since, like with Hebrews and everything else. Yeah. But our family has had firsthand experience with him going back to 1996. Now, in the wow. summer of 1996, and again, we are very green in our messianic experience. Okay. You know, um, we are a part of Baruch Hashem here in Dallas. At the time, Baruch Hashem was a very small UMJC congregation. Its main leader, Marty Waldman, was the president of the UMJC. Uh, My parents were very, very new in the Messianic movement. They knew because of the the message that Monty was declaring in 1996 that, you know, they just needed to get to know him and they needed to hear him out. So in the summer of 1996, in June, um, I was not among my family members who went, but uh, Monty was going to be exhibiting at the Messiah Conference up in Grantham, Pennsylvania. That's the MJAA Mm. conference. And so everyone in the family, except me, went to the Messiah Conference for a week. Uh, My parents wanted to get to know Monty Judah. And there's a story about how uh, my parents and Joel Chernoff met in the uh, lunch line or the cafeteria line and my mother gave him one of her tickets to and anyway that that was something that got resumed uh much later in like 2015 2016 do you remember me you know da, 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 da. Oh, um sure. so that was that that was that was good and they and they you know in in wanting to to figure out the messianic jewish experience they recognized that the mjaa was more spirit filled than a few weeks later, when they went to Sturbridge, Massachusetts, where the UMJC had their conference, and you know Monty just went from, you know Pennsylvania to Massachusetts, he was exhibiting there. Mm-hmm. They further got to know him, and, and they figured out that the UMJC was was not as spirit filled. Yeah, and, and and even even since then, those tend to be the the general parameters that people pick up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, you know. The end times and our messianic experience have been innately connected together. Mm. Uh, now, of course, Monty's predictions in 1997 proved to be fallacious. Yep. And they proved to be false. But yet he still has one of the biggest messianic ministries or Hebrew roots or whatever it is now out there. Uh, and, you know, I haven't had any interactions with him in person for over 15 years uh, because even in, even in wanting to, okay, forgive and excuse him of a mistake uh, with the Hebrews thing that he did in 2005, that was pretty much it, uh, yeah, you know, for I our see. family. Unfortunately, from what I've heard, uh, secondhand account here, but someone who's affiliated with him told me, that he's made some fallacious predictions since then. Uh, so I don't think much has changed, unfortunately. I do know that I understand he's passing the torch 
uh, his, I think his son and uh, some other leaders around him are, are kind of inheriting the ministry, but um, it, it's unfortunate, you know, I yeah. think yeah. Folks, and we can, folks can, like we... that turn people off to the end times discussion, right? Like for, it, it was for me, when you hear those fallacious things, when you hear false prophecies, date sets that never come about things prophesied that never come about uh, that turns people off. Um, so it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And, and, and to me, what he did with Hebrews is far, far worse than mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. associated with the end times. You know, I will give the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the end times to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of the Messianic Jewish pioneers used to be hippies and used to be druggies. So sure. it's like, yeah. we can show mercy there. <laughs> we can show mercy yeah. on just about anything. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, good point. And, and for the listeners who might not be aware, so the Hebrews thing you're referring to is Mani Judah um, sees the book of Hebrews is not, it shouldn't be in the canon, essentially. It shouldn't be in the Bible. Is that a fair? Yes, and hopefully we'll discuss that in the future. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but moving beyond Monty Judah, so we yes. one of the things that I think continued with the whole messianic movement of the end times is, you know, well, the year 2000, you know, Y2K, you know, it's all going to hit then. I mean, it's all going to explode. It's going to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are all screwed, uh, you know, on <laughs> Y2K. Uh, I know a lot of people were anticipating things to take place in association mm-hmm. with the chain with the turn of the millennium of course nothing took place and many people were found to have made mis- uh, made de- declarations that didn't come to pass and so as, yep. as i particularly look at the past 20 years you know the year 2000 to now the year 2020 and i've written this down mm-hmm. uh there was sort of this I guess the, the 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 best explanation I can give, the best description is there's this there was this fatigue when it came to the end times. Yeah, that's you know, a like good word to describe. Once you it. got to 2002, 2003, you know, even with 9/11 and the Iraq War, people just got to the point of I don't want to hear any more about who the Antichrist is. I don't want to hear any more about 666. You know, I don't want to hear yeah. any more about this. Yeah. And there was just this fatigue and. There are some things that actually filled the vacuum of that fatigue in terms of something that was a little sensational and that hadn't been heard before. Mm. Um, You know, like the whole two house thing or even Mm -hmm. some components of the one law thing, Mm -hmm. which then would develop more into the Hebrew roots that kind of like filled some of the vacuum in in terms of what was, you know, new and exciting and, and, and what have you. Mm -hmm. But Certainly by the 2010s, there's just this fatigue when it came to the second coming of the end times to the point where a lot of Messianic people, they're not even having studies on the end times, you know, Matthew 24 and the anticipated return of the Lord and at least some parts of the book of Revelation. It's like, you know, people are just tired of it. They're tired of people taking advantage of it to sell books or 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 to develop a following. Yes. And, uh, you know, people just got really sick of it. Now, in my own life or in my own experience, and I, I preface, and I, I've, I've talked about this before on the different presentations that I have given. Uh, I know deep down in my heart of hearts that something did shift 
significantly in the spirit in the year 2015. Mm. And, you know, I woke up in, I believe it was in late May, early June of 2015. And I just had this feel, you know, and I'm not, you know, like super charismatic or anything, but uh, the feeling was, you know, just like Obi-Wan Kenobi on the Millennium Falcon. I feel the great disturbance in the forest. <laughs> in the forest. <laughs> you, you felt something in the spirit. Something. I mean, something was like that mm. big. And mm. uh, lo and behold, it was the day that here in the United States that homosexual marriage was declared legal. Uh, and, mm. you know, what's the whole deal with gay marriage? Um, mm. I've said this in other presentations, but okay. Look at, look at the history of some of these major... Protestant denominations, which have gathered for their, you know, annual or, uh, you know, whatever, however long they wait to have it, but, you know, they're Mm. they're different business meetings, they're different, you know, major denominational conferences, and they go to vote on, well, do we ordain gays and lesbians? Mm -hmm. What is the issue that immediately precedes it or immediately follows it? It is usually, well, do we divest from companies that do business from Israel? Uh, you know, our, you know, our, our pastor's retirement fund is caught up in, in companies like Raytheon or Boeing. Mm-hmm. Well, they mm-hmm. do all sorts of business with Israel. And of course, the mm-hmm. really big one is Caterpillar because Caterpillar you know, builds the uh, the bulldozers that bulldoze Palestinian homes. Uh, um, hmm. So all of these, you know, major denominations, even the denomination in which I was raised, the United Methodist church, either sure. right before or right after they, well, do we change the discipline so we can ordain gays and lesbians? They vote on Israel. Now yes, I, wow. I knew, I knew hmm. not to put some kind of a timestamp on this, mm-hmm. but you know, I had a really good discussion a few years ago with this with Paul Lieberman. Sure. And I said, look, I don't know what the timestamp is on this, but it's a road sign nonetheless. He's like, yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. And it's a Romans one red line. You know, you know, Romans one makes it clear that, you know, the nations at large are in rebellion toward the one God of Israel because they are idolaters and they practice homosexuality. Yep. yep. Uh, so if we, generation. if we yep. cross through that, it's a whole new ball game. Yes. So, so the yeah. past few years I have been operating on that. It's a whole new paradigm phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And while I don't want to be someone who speaks presumptuous, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, so-and-so is going to be president or thus mm-hmm. saith the Lord, this is going to happen or, yeah, I haven't, or I've got the new set of calculations. Um, I've just known something has shifted in the spirit and we cannot expect life to be normal. And, you know, going mm. back even to 2014, you know, nudging my mother, David Chernoff said it was the end time. The end times. God. I mean, come on here. Um, how many of us, if, the Messianic community did not have this significant end time mission to fulfill. Would we really be a part of it? I mean, I mean, I mean, really, I mean, if we Mm. had another 200 years, uh, you know, interesting, would Mm. we be a part of it Mm. or, you know, I mean, it's a difficult question and there's no answer to it. Um, But 
if it one really, wonders, yeah. If it really is the end time move of God, then some of the sacrifices that some of us have made, they make sense. They make mm. absolute sense. Now, yes. that end time thing doesn't mean that tomorrow all of a sudden they're going to start putting microchips in us. Mm-hmm. But what it does mean is that it you know, to make it more pragmatic for people, it means that we have to move from a peacetime footing to a wartime footing. Mm, yeah, yeah, understood, man. I do think that the messianic movement um, was raised up. I mean, if you look at the history, the messianic movement, the modern messianic movement really picked up in the 1960s, 1960s, early 70s. And I think there's a reason for that. I don't think it was happenstance. I think it was God's purpose and God's timing um, that the messianic movement was really resurrected. So uh, I think it does tie into the end times. I'm with you. I don't think it means like the Lord's coming back tomorrow, Um, but uh, it does play a role. I think um, God raised it up for this purpose. It does play a role in the end. Right. And I don't, I don't believe that, you know, the proverbial tribulation period is going to start tomorrow, mm-hmm. but I do believe that we have to start focusing our attention on the things that, that really do matter in terms of that final scenario. Mm-hmm. When I was, uh, this is, oh my goodness, this is almost a year ago. Uh, in December of last year, 2019, I attended the MJAA uh, regional conference in Orlando, and one of uh, a, a significant Messianic Jewish pioneer going, you know, a believer since the 1960s, Steve Weiler, said that he believed that the Messianic Jewish movement was going to give rise to the 144,000 sealed servants of the book of Revelation. And I'm like, you know, in principle, I agree with that. And, 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 you know, but I have no idea how you're going to be able to find in today's messianic movement as it currently stands, 144 virgins, (laughs) you know, (laughs) much Mm, less 144,000. Now my mother and I had this experience. We got off the elevator at that conference and we had, there were some of the younger people, uh, who were getting ready to get on the elevator? We and we just looked at one another, and we we had that look. I hope they're using condoms. <laughs> I hope they're using you know protection. <laughs> and it's like we have got to start taking our mission much more seriously than we do. Mm. Yeah, agreed. All right, so that was 2019. Uh, moving on to our next question. Yes. 2020 was not the year any of us planned or wanted it to be. People are understandably talking about the end times and return of Yeshua. How do you think we should be approaching the discussion? Well, first, I acknowledge that 2020 is um, a year unlike any other and probably unlike any other in our in the rest of our lives. Um, I think not only with the contentious election, but with the pandemic and um, all of the government uh, you know, mandated shutdowns and things of that nature. It's been tough. It's been tough for a lot of people. It's got people thinking about the end and where, where we are uh, on God's timeline. 
the question of, you know, how should we approach the discussion? First, I can say let's avoid some of the errors we've seen. We talked about this in the last question, but some of the errors that we've seen is uh, sensationalism and date setting, things like, you know, the Lord's going to return at Sukkot 2016 or, you know, whatever it may be. I think that sort of date setting uh, it turns people off. Um, it doesn't produce good fruit. I don't know what else to say. Like, I just, I haven't seen good fruit from it. Um, and, and rather, I, I've actually seen bad fruit because it turns people off from discussing this issue, as we've discussed. I would also say we need to approach, this is going to be a little controversial, I suppose. We should approach uh, the discussion of the end times with skepticism. And what I mean by that is... <laughs> We have to be rational. I, f- I feel like so often people get excited by something. Um, and right. look, I, I'm, I'm excited by the Lord's return. Absolutely. But I don't make that turn off my brain. And I feel like sometimes what I've seen in the Messianic movement is people get excited about something, whether it's uh, the Lord's return um, or, or Torah or our identity in the Lord two house and other things where people get excited and they, they turn off their thinking and it doesn't, it doesn't work. God gave us rational thinking above, above the animals for a purpose. And um, I think with that rational thinking, there's a few things we can do. Um, One is when claims are made about the end times, when we're talking about this with other messianics, when you hear messianic teachers talk about the end times, Um, first we have to weigh these things against scripture. This is harder than people realize because if you want to believe something, it's very easy to find evidence for it, right? Like, Hey, I want to believe X. Well, let me find in the scriptures where I can support X. I don't think that's a good way to go about. I think that's actually, they call it a confirmation bias. Like you want to confirm it. And and so you're, uh, you're going to find evidence for it. So when, when I talk about weighing it against scripture, I, I don't just mean go find evidence for what you want to believe. Um, what I would encourage people to do is when there is discussion, claims made about the end times, we have to weigh them against scripture. Look at teachers of old, read, read books about the scripture, see what your, your local messianic leader thinks about this, what, what your um, spiritual, um, the people who advise you, who you trust in the spirit. What, what is their take on this? Don't just try to find evidence in the Bible and call it a closed case. Um, so that's what I mean. Approach this skeptically. Um, use some, some rationality because I've just seen too much of the opposite and it's turned a lot of people off, not only from end times discussion, but just religion in general. Um, so use our God-given brains. Also consider the source. You know, we talked about some messianic teachers already who have made false predictions Look, the Bible in the Torah, it actually says, ah, if someone prophesies in my name and that thing does not come about, then you are to disregard and not fear that prophet. That's what it says in the Bible, in the Torah. Um, so if you want to be Torah observant, um, part of that means disregarding people who have who are bad sources of prophecy. I don't, I don't have a softer way to put that. Um, so again, w- with regards to using our God-given brains, we, we have to consider the source, uh, weigh them against scripture and also look for fruit. You know, the Lord told us, um, you should, you should know them by their fruit. I feel this applies very broadly that if we don't see good fruit coming from something, that's a bad sign. 
Um, if all you see from them are predictions, um, some of them failed and, you know, maybe he's a YouTube teacher or something. I don't know. But if that's all, if, if we don't see good fruit coming from that person, from that ministry, that's a, that's a red flag as well. So that's number two for me is just with skepticism, with rationality, weigh these things um, because I've seen too much the opposite. Um, also, this is probably going to be a little, my third and final thing, and I'll let you weigh in here, John, but third thing that might be a little controversial as well is a recognition that few, if any people predicted 2020 Christians, messianics, prophets, so-called apostles. Um, yes, absolutely. Led, I mean, look, uh, I, in fact, I, I was involved in a discussion uh, with some messianic leaders about this. Someone said, did anyone predict what's happened in 2020? Anyone at all? Like, <clears throat> this is a once in, <clears throat> once in a century thing. Surely someone must have got the word from the Lord. And I just recognized that very few, if any, did. That tells me one of maybe two things. One is, first, it could mean that God isn't telling us what he's got planned, um, which would make me weigh even more on the skepticism side about end times claims. Um, two, a lot of so-called prophets today aren't really prophets. Um, look, with all the failed prophecies, uh, with all of the people, I don't know, it's like self-appointed prophets, they it's like, okay, you didn't predict this and you have false prophecies. Why should I listen to you? And I'm always <clears throat> confounded that <clears throat> religious people keep going back to these failed teachers. I see it in Christianity, but I also see it in the messianic movement. We have to disregard folks who are false prophets. So those are some suggestions of how to approach the end times discussion. I realize you may have a very different view, John. Um, Actually, you'll be surprised. It's very okay. Close. Okay. All right. Well, very, I'll, very I'll close. hand the floor. I'll hand the floor over to you. Those are my three things. No, with I, caution with skepticism and a re, just a, a reality check that we haven't predicted 2020. So maybe we don't know what God is doing. Now I actually, the answers that I've given on my sheet here are mm -hmm. not that far different from yours. Um, okay. You know, wanting to be just slightly more solution oriented. Okay, that's fair. Okay. All right, let's okay, hear it. <laughs> so, the so the question is, 2020 was not the year any of us planned or wanted it to be. Yeah, that's that. everyone recognizes that now. Yep. People are understandably talking about the end times and return of Yeshua. How do you think we should be approaching the discussion? So I have three very simple points to make. Now, okay. the first one is I do believe we should be having more studies of eschatology. So that's compatible with your, you know, let's let's approach this rationally, realistically. Let's okay. not, you know, try to make the Holy Scriptures fit mm. into some end time scenario. Like I'm going to yes. go on the record and say, I don't believe that COVID-19, the coronavirus mm. scare is specifically prophesied in the Bible. Okay, that's that's good you say that because a lot of people actually think it was in fact just last week like a quick anecdote a messianic man told me on my facebook page he said you need to watch this video of a kabbalistic teacher who finds in bible codes covid predicted and also right. that trump would win the election right i mean <laughs> so i there mean you go. it's i think like 
Other things, it's a road sign, but it's not specifically prophesied in the Bible. But mm-hmm. no, we need we need more studies of the end times. You know, whether it's Daniel or Ezekiel or Zechariah mm-hmm. or Matthew mm-hmm. twenty four or Revelation, and we need to get beyond some of the end time fatigue that people have had. Okay, all to, right. We just have to suck it up and like, yeah, I've got to deal with this. You know, no different yeah. than you know, I'm. I need to lose that 20 pounds, you know, mm-hmm. I can't yeah, keep buying, I can't keep buying bigger pants. I've got <laughs> to deal with this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Understood. That's what Understood. Okay. That's what it's like. Okay. Now the second thing, and this is, I don't think you mentioned this, but this is something that really strikes me. If the messianic movement is the end time move of God, yes. then what end time elements must be messianic or messianic jewish what are the things about the end times that only our faith community can contribute to Mm, okay so Mm. i mentioned for example the raising up of the 144,000. okay Mm -hmm. and you know i i think everyone believes that they're going to be sexually chased in some form or fashion Mm. so how do we see those individuals raised up or cultivated we don't have an answer it's okay but at least we got to get it out there in this in the you know we got to we got to get it on the table but Mm. what are some there are some end time elements that only the messianic movement can contribute to i mean declaring the good news to the lost in general that's one thing but there Mm. are things that i'm sorry i see that only a mature equipped messianic community can bring about now we may not have the answer to that now but I think we do have to, to, to keep that in our field of vision. Yes. And then the third thing is, just as you said, or similar to what you said, we need to approach the end times. We need to approach prophecy as analysts and not as quote-unquote prophets. Ah, uh, yeah, if, okay. If that makes I any sense. You know, so yeah. it's one thing, like at the turn of the millennium, people would ask me, so you know, the new world order, you know, some people believe it's going to be Europe. Some people think it's going to be the United Nations. Mm -hmm. My response was, well, we don't know. So just keep Mm -hmm. those out there as possibilities. Yeah. You know, we don't know. We, we and it's okay to say we don't know because that's the truth. We don't know with so much of the end, but rather than avoid the issue, I'm saying, well, here's some possibilities. Time Mm -hmm. will tell. And Mm -hmm. If we can approach it as analysts, then we don't run the risk of, well, you know, you declared that this was going to happen and it didn't come about that way. Instead, mm-hmm. we just need to put possibilities out there. You know, one of the things that, that that's kind of interesting, this is as a slight aside. Yeah. Um, I am uh, presently, uh, you know, taking a course with the IMCS on uh, postmodern Judaism. And Rabitzin Rachel Wolf uh, talks about how, you know, how do you get non-religious Jews to really be engaged with the Holy Scriptures? How do you get them really interested? Uh, because you're not going to get them interested when you mention Yeshua of Nazareth. Okay. But the way you get non-religious Jews interested in the Holy Scriptures is you talk about Israel. You talk about the reestablishment of Israel. And you talk about mm. all these different factors that were working against Israel. You know, mm-hmm. even, mm-hmm. you know, when the United Nations went to their initial vote, 
the United States was going to vote against the reestablishment of a Jewish homeland. Uh, but nevertheless, President Truman said, no, you're going to vote in favor of a Jewish homeland. Um, and, and then along those same lines, she said, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but do you know why God probably selected non-religious, widely atheistic Jews to found the Zionist movement and see the state of Israel reestablished? Because I have a thought on that, but it's go ahead. Very, it's, it's very simple. If God mm-hmm. used religious Jews or even religious people, they would be internally divided over their theology. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, yeah. well, it's not that way. It's got to be this way. Whereas if God uses <laughs> non-religious people who have a singular goal in mind, it's likely to come about. And, you know, when, when I look in particular at some of the things that the the Trump administration has been able to do. And I, I think yes. Trump is, is probably a believer. I mean, a very immature believer sometimes. Yeah. But, I was but listening he to is, the podcast. Yeah. He is able to do things that, you know, if we had a quote unquote evangelical Christian in the white house, he'd be pulled down by so many special interests. Mm. The legitimate tasks would not be accomplished. Interesting. And, so even, even a more secular one there works better. Uh, I heard uh, Aaron Eby, um, Messianic figure, mention the same thing that you did with regards to the secular founders, uh, or the secular Zionists, if you will, that helped start Israel. And he said something to the effect of, well, if it was religious people, people would just say, ah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They would dismiss it like, ah, religious Jews just made their religious tradition happen. Yeah wipe it off. It, it's not, it's not, it's nothing serious, but because it was secular people, it truly is a miracle that it happened. So it, it's fascinating. I think there's, there's multiple reasons, I think, why God chose uh, folks like Theodore Herzl and even some of the early leaders of, of modern Israel, um, even though they were secular, uh, God chose them. Right. And so we need to approach any of these issues, the identity of the anti-Messiah, the false prophet, these different political entities. We need to yeah. approach it like like Jack Ryan would have approached it. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, yeah, from, yeah. The data analyst. I know. Yeah, yeah from okay. the, uh, the Tom Clancy novels. Yep, approach yep. it as an analyst. Don't mm-hmm. approach it as thus saith the Lord. I mean, even today... Yep. Uh, it's November the 16th. I had a very dear Messianic Jewish friend of mine contact me uh, with an article written by a Messianic Jewish leader in Israel who said that God showed him, it was Ron Cantor, by the way, oh, sure, uh, I know. that Joe Biden was going to win the presidency. And she was like, I'm really upset about this. Da, da, da. And we're like, look, he's no prophet. Just let's just wait and see what happens. Yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. so let's just wait and see what happens. And, you know, if these people truly are quote unquote prophets and look, I am a continuist. I believe in the gifts of the spirit. I really do. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, They're going to be calling people to repentance from their sins. They're not going to be making these specific predictions regarding the end times. You know, uh, I'm glad you and, highlighted that. That's and as thing I like to say, we can you know, help with. Yeah. you know, I believe that the Lord has given me supernatural flashes of the future. I believe okay. the Lord has given me supernatural flashes that I've needed to know regarding a question I've had. I write them down in my journals and mm-hmm. as a codicil to my will, 
Upon time of death, those journals are to be uh, immediately incinerated. Mm. <laughs> so here I thought you were going to say, you know, read aloud or something. No, incinerated. Wow. <laughs> you know, okay. because, all right, all right. Because, mm. you know, I don't know. I'm just writing yeah. things down. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I know that, that looking at my own Protestant background, there are different theologians, uh, for example, who, uh, this is especially true of the journals of John Wesley. People, you know, they've been published. People don't know yeah. what they're reading. And he wrote to his brother, Charles, and they, they, they spoke in some kind of a code. They, oh. they were, they, they were uh, 18th century Oxford scholars. And they also wrote not only their own English code, but they also wrote Latin and French. And so they had this language that they, so people think they're probably communicating one thing when he's communicating something else. Mm-hmm. And in, in my case, like, yeah, just see that they're incinerated. <laughs> you know? I, love it. I, love I mean, that. I don't, be, I mean, I'm not supposed to be cremated, but they are. <laughs> the journals can be all right. That's, that's fair. I'll see to it that that's carried out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like that you you highlighted um, that oftentimes both messianic and Christian folks see prophets as fortune tellers, and in fact, um, their their primary goal, looking at the Tanakh, the primary goal is to get people to turn from their sins. Oftentimes, that would come with warnings of destruction if they didn't turn. Um, but I think we have it backwards. We're putting like the you know this this warning of destruction before anything else when in fact uh, so many modern day prophets yeah it's, they're following that same backwards model it's all about prediction um so very little about getting people to turn from sin yeah so i think that is i know we're going to talk about that uh shortly about what can the messianic movement contribute that's one of them you know if, when it comes to prophecy maybe we can do better here and say prophets are called to have people turn from their sin Excellent. Okay, so our next question, our our third of fifth question. Yes. As it concerns the end times, what good thing or things do you think the messianic movement or perspective brings? And then along with that, what negative thing or things do you think we need to be aware of? With regards to the negative, I'm just going to quickly gloss over that one because we've covered a lot of it already. Right. Um, we can we can avoid a lot of the sensationalism, um, the date setting. Um, the messianic movement, unfortunately, has brought some um, additional false predictions around like um, the greater exodus, the temple being rebuilt at certain times. I think you don't see as much of that in Christianity. I, maybe you see some of the temple, but... Um, Those things we can avoid Um, with regards to the good things that the messianic movement and perspective can bring. I have a few things on my mind. I I feel like question three and question four might, might kind of blend together here a little bit, but I'll just give you my thoughts on first, the core of the messianic movement is a Jewish return to Yeshua. That's the core. Right. You know, I, I think sometimes we've lost sight of that with various exciting teachings coming up. And, you know, we've, we've all been caught up in some things from time to time, but that's the core. And I think that is something that's needed in the body of believers. If you look at the church, um, oftentimes Israel is seen as 
maybe um, an afterthought or, oh, maybe they play some role in the end times as far as, you know, they, they have to go through the tribulation and then they'll believe or something. Hold on a second. Uh, are we forgetting that um, first it's a, it's a modern miracle. And I, I don't use that term lightly. It's a modern miracle that in 1948, uh, Israel became a nation again, modern miracle, um, just three years after the Holocaust, modern miracle, the nation of Israel came together again after nearly 2000 years. Um, and as we just discussed earlier, even more of a miracle that, hey, it, was, it wasn't religious people that made it happen. God actually yeah. used secular people. And even more of a miracle given that like all of Israel's surrounding neighbors invaded it and they survived. I mean, it's it's truly a modern miracle that uh, Israel is uh, here today again as a nation. Um, not only Israel, but the Jewish return to the land of Israel, um, the resurrection of the Hebrew language, also a modern miracle. If uh, I encourage listeners to um, see how Hebrew became the the uh, official language of Israel, it's it's really remarkable. Another kind of non-religious guy didn't really know if he believed in God, and 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 um, something remarkable happens. It, it, by all appearances, if you uh, believe his uh, uh, his grandson, I don't remember the man's name. Um, yes, Eliezer Ben Yehuda. Ben Yehuda, thank you. Ben Yehuda's grandson describes it, and he's like, "Look, um, God, like a a voice appeared, a, a voice came out in in this room and said, you're you're going to resurrect Hebrew.' And and the religious people in Israel opposed it, and yet it still happened. It's truly just a miracle, miracle upon miracle that Israel." is a nation again, all of these things, it's truly a miracle. I don't think it's a coincidence then that the messianic movement um, sprung up soon afterwards. I think that's tied in with that as well. Also a kind of miracle after all of the anti-Semitism of the church. Um, after, I, I know like in the early 20th century, the Catholic church had published um, writing saying, well, the Jew is forever condemned to be a nomad among the earth, you know, things like that were uh, because they rejected uh, Christ, they're going to be cursed forever. All of that was just turned on its head when, when, when the nation of Israel uh, was reborn. Miracle. And I think that taking that perspective and recognizing that the New Testament is very Israel focused. We talked about uh, Romans right. 9, 10, 11, where Paul says, look, uh, you might be wondering how have, how can it be that um, Messiah's own people, the Jewish people rejected him? Did God fail in some way? And Paul says, no, no, no. Instead, it's resulted in salvation of all the nations. And if the Jewish rejection of Yeshua resulted in salvation for the whole world, what will their return be? And he says, it'll be like life from the dead. This recognition of there's a huge end times element of the Jewish return to Yeshua, that's the biggest thing I think the Messianic movement can bring. Um, I have a few more thoughts, but I'll save that for the next question. Um, so that's, I think, the big thing in my, my view. Well, I have some very uh, brief answers to this question. Uh, okay. As it concerns the end times, what good thing mm -hmm. things do you think the messianic movement or perspective brings what yep. negative thing or things do you think we need to be aware of? Well, I think on the good side, uh, you know, the messianic movement definitely focuses the attention of all people who are involved in it on Israel. You know, mm -hmm. we, you mentioned some of those things, the rebirth of the state of Israel, the rebirth of the Hebrew language, mm -hmm. uh, 
how in the world did this tiny little country come about, you know, mm-hmm. three years after World War II, the Holocaust, and yes. even with the emerging Cold War? It's like, how? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and only mm-hmm. secular people, I think, could have done it because the religious <laughs> people would have been at each other's throats. <laughs> I know, I know. Yes, yes. Um, but we also focus people necessarily on a Torah foundation, the Tanakh, the scriptures of Israel, more commonly called the Old Testament. I mean, we do have that especially going for us as a movement. That Mm -hmm. is the Bible of Yeshua. Yes. I've said this so many times, uh, because I know people, they want to find you know, hidden meanings in the word of God. They want to find, mm. oh, I can find how Yeshua fulfilled this or fulfilled that. And then they go into things that they, they shouldn't be. It's like, don't find yourself trying to fit square pegs into round holes. The mm-hmm. scriptures of Israel, you know, if there are not, you know, messianic prophecies or clear typologies present, they still represent the values of Yeshua and the apostles. You know, That's this right. is where they turn to when different issues of significance arose. So just remember that uh, you don't have to you know, find hidden meanings behind the text when there's some bigger ethical or moral issue, which Yeshua decisively addresses in his teachings. So, you know, we've got definitely going for us the, the Tanakh, the Bible of Yeshua and the Apostles. Uh, that gets mm-hmm. me excited, perhaps more than anything else. Um, yeah, yeah. But we focus on Israel and we focus on the Tanakh, positive things that everyone can unite around, even the bilateral ecclesiology people. You know, <laughs> everyone can unite around that in some ways. Yes. yes. Now, when it comes to some of the negative things, and all right, uh, uh, we are because we are a new movement. And yeah. uh, I'm actually taking a lot more solace in this because okay. well, for the end time move of God, then guess what? Everything that can go wrong will go wrong yeah. because the enemy is going to want to get us so off kilter and so off track. It's not even yep. funny. So yep. when I hear the latest, can I say this crap out mm-hmm. there? I'm like, okay, well, it means we're doing the right thing. We're on the right trajectory. Mm. You know, I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, whatever distractions it- and divisions are going to come because uh, the enemy doesn't want um, this end times move of God to succeed. Yeah. I mean, if you remember, there's a figure in the book of Acts, Simon Magus. He wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. I mean, yes. can you believe it? I mean, mm. we'd say, oh, that's crazy. But really, there are people now who are into things that, you know, are not that much different. You know, they get into things mm. like Hebrew letter pictures. They get into numerology. Yes. Get yeah. into, you know, all kinds Kabbalistic of like, magic like, and so like on, the yeah. Aleph and the Tav. It's like, that is, oh, a, sure. yeah. that is a marker of the direct object in Hebrew grammar. <laughs> right. Right. It's not some hidden meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There, and to be yeah. honest, None of that is going to be able to help us with some of the deceptions that are likely coming in the future. Mm. You know, it's going to be a mm. waste of your time and, by the way, your money. Yep, that's you know, lot, right. You know, because if if the time thing doesn't hit you, this thing should hit you. 
Yep. Yep. I know, man. Um, I know. And we've seen so many distractions, but so you're right. Seen, we can take solace in that. That's So that's we've good. seen a lot of, because it's a new movement, it's a hotbed for opportunism. Now I just mentioned some things that are more or less witness on the Hebrew root side, you know, the letter pictures, sure. the gematria, the infatuation with mysticism, although that inter, that, that, that is present in the Messianic Jewish movement Judy, as well. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yep. However, I'm going to, I'm going to step out on a limb here. Okay. Um, when I was at the IMCS rabbis conference back in January, there was a very, very popular Messianic Jewish speaker who was one of the main uh, you know, speakers there. You know, he, he was the, the, the attraction for everybody. Sure. And yeah. um, I'm not going to say that I disagree with his call to repentance for America. And that we need to return to biblical values. I agree. I actually like this guy personally. Yeah. Okay. I, find, yep. I find his, you know, personal story to be very compelling. And I'm very good friends with a Messianic Jewish believer who was roommates with him on a, uh, they, they went on a cruise in the 1990s, a, uh, kind of it wasn't a matchmaking cruise but it was a singles cruise for messianic mm-hmm. jewish believers sure so you know this speaker i'll just tell you who he was, was jonathan khan mm-hmm. um he was at the imcs rabbis conference and his latest book was given out for free to everyone and uh people ask me at our table you know why don't why aren't you reading this book well i've already read it i've already got a copy of it but you know there are free copies available well what do you think of it and my answer was very direct and to the point. I agree with his admonition that we all need to return to biblical ethics and morality. Yes. But this book mm-hmm. is not theology. When somebody comes up to you and asks, is Yeshua God? Or what happens when I die? Or what is going to happen in eternity? This book's not going to help you one, mm-hmm. one bit. And I think that the Messianic community, because it's a new movement, is open to these kinds of things. It's prone to it, understood, yeah. And we just don't want to take the time to have to dig through some very uncomfortable details. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, we're just prone to sensationalism and hype, and we want a simple explanation. When actually, when we, I think, when we fully comprehend what we've got our hands around, what we what we know what we can really think you know what we what we've got you know our hands on um we're going to realize that we have a significant opportunity to make a difference for the kingdom of god and mm. we've blown it yeah, how, far yeah. too many times you yeah. know the best analogy i can give you is actually a food analogy if i said here is a vegetable see what you can do with it and uh i give you a potato and all you do with that potato is you cut it up and, you know, you put a little bit of salt on it and you eat it. And I come back to you and I, I say, so how was that? You're like, well, I didn't think it was that great. My response would naturally be, well, did you read this cookbook? I mean, mm. you see mm. how many hundreds of ways you could have cooked this potato? <laughs> you could yes. have prepared this potato? I mean, really? Yes, yes. I mean, yes. this cookbook alone provides, you know, over 1400 recipes for potato salad you know, <laughs> you know and we haven't even gotten into 
you know, fried potatoes or mashed potatoes <laughs> or anything else. I mean, that is in some ways what I think the Messianic community has done with the legitimate vision that it has been given by the Lord. I mean, yeah, many false Jewish, starts. Yeah. Seeing Jewish people come to faith in Yeshua and seeing non-Jewish believers embrace their faith heritage in Israel's scriptures. It's a big thing. That's that. I mean, yeah. it's a really big thing. It's like, of yeah. course, you know, you know, I, I, there are many things you can do with the potato. I mean, much less all the other different, different, you know, fruits and vegetables and meats, but it's like, that's all you did with it. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, understood. And we, I, I like what you said. We're, we're still in the early days of the modern messianic movement. Um, and so we are prone to some of these things. I think it's helpful that we recognize that. Um, and that might explain to why we've had some troubles that, um, that Christianity isn't having to deal with. Uh, it's because we are still early on in trying to find our way. I like what you said, though, John. We have that core, um, and it's it's a remarkable thing, as you said, the Jewish return to Yeshua and um, the believing return to biblical ethics through the Torah. Right, because there is a huge amount of spiritual power there if yeah. you're able mm-hmm. to probe it. Yes, yes. Yep. I mean, when you look at the two most significant and influential religious traditions on planet Earth, okay, mm-hmm. you've got the Jewish mm-hmm. synagogue, which which did indeed bring monotheism to a huge part of humanity. That's right, yeah. And then you've got Protestantism with its emphasis on the Holy Scriptures and its work ethic. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you yes. put that together, it's like, you know, you have a success on the level of, well, the United States of America, yeah, yeah. I mean, you really right. do. You really, yeah. really do. It's a powerful thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And the Messianic yeah. community, if it were to move beyond some of the sensationalism, and mm-hmm. and I would have to say this, you know, back in 1995, 1996, 1997, if some of the Messianic Jewish leaders had been a little more honest and said, look, we are the first Jewish believers ever in our family. And we don't fully know what it means to be a believer in Yeshua of Nazareth and be Jewish, mm-hmm. you know, and we're still working through some, some things. So mm-hmm. can you give us a little bit of space to do this? Things might've turned out a little differently. Yeah. Instead of some of the exclusionary things that ended up happening. Yeah. Because I think that some of us who were brought into the Messianic community at that time, we just said, okay, you know, no big deal. You know, let's mm-hmm. just, give the Lord the necessary time to work through some things, but some people were not told that. And so they reacted one way when they should have been like, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it means to be the son or the daughter of a Holocaust survivor or a concentration Mm -hmm. camp survivor, or to hear that my extended family perished in the Shoah, Mm -hmm. you know, if they had been a little more clear that, look, we're still working through some of these matters, then maybe things would have turned out a little differently. Indeed, indeed. Um, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I think now it's like, hey, look, we, we got to do the hard work. Uh, I think if we continue to press on to know the Lord, uh, some of these things will will be worked out in time. But there's a lot of hard work ahead of us. As you mentioned, John, there's the next generation that needs to be raised up in this movement. Um, there's concern about that. A lot of hard work ahead. Right. Okay. So uh, moving on to our next question, number four, um, what role do you think uh, today's Messianic 
uh, and even Hebrew Roots movement yeah. uh, is or might uh, going to play in the last days leading up to the return of Yeshua. Yeah, um, some of the positives from the last question, I think, flow into this one, too. Um, so what the question, basically, in my own words here is, what role does the Messianic movement play in the last days? And I think the first one has to do with uh, that salvation of Israel, that life from the dead. Um, I think the Messianic movement, we're seeing already in Israel, um, the, uh, the Messianic movement is, is flourishing there. Um, maybe not as much as some people hope, but there's, there's positive movement. Um, so I think the Messianic movement has a role to play in the salvation of the Jewish people, um, specifically in Israel, but more broadly around the world. Um, second one, this is, I would like to see this, I'll put it that way. I don't know if this is going to happen. <laughs> I would like to see the Messianic movement play a role in re-highlighting the resurrection of the dead. And the reason I say this is I, I clearly see in the evangelical world <clears throat> that the going to heaven part is so stressed that we forget about the resurrection of the dead. Um, I, I, I do believe that, you know, when we die, we'll be with the Lord in heaven. At the same time, the big hope throughout the New Testament, as, as N.T. Wright has, has really well articulated in one of his books, he has a book, Surprised by Hope, a fantastic book, where he says, look, in the New Testament, the, the hope is the hope in the resurrection, meaning we will be raised from the dead. Amen. Um, and and I, I feel he, he says, look, even in our hymns in the Christian world, we've lost this, right. this, this um, important focus of the resurrection of the dead. Instead, in the Christian world, we're kind of focused on two things. One, going to heaven, and two, the rapture. Um, and they're kind of tied together. In fact, I, I mentioned this same church that, we're, that uh, is going through Revelation. We're going through this Revelation study. They talked about um, the, the passage in Thessalonians about the great shofar blast, the trumpet blast that will go forth, and the dead in Messiah will, will uh, be raised. They, they, they talked about everything except the dead in Messiah being raised. And I thought, man, like we talked about the, the rapture and when this is going to happen, how we'll always be with the Lord, but totally didn't talk about the fact that the dead will be raised. That's a huge thing. And I think it's a stumbling block Absolutely. to some people, but it's, it's man, it, it's the big thing from, from Messiah. Look, if Messiah wasn't raised from the dead, Paul says, then our faith is in vain. Um, and Messiah first raised from the dead, everyone else after him. So I hope, this is my hope, I hope that the Messianic movement will have um, a recentering on the resurrection of the dead. Um, I think sometimes we can accidentally produce anemic believers when we just put all the focus on the going to heaven part. Um, because people think, hey, this life doesn't matter. What I do here doesn't really matter. Um you know, this isn't my home. This isn't, this isn't me, you know, me as a soul. This is just, you know, a flesh suit or whatever. Right. It's like, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on. We're going to be raised from the dead and, and we'll be here in a new creation with the Lord um, Amen. on, on earth. Um, so it, that's, that's, I hope we refocus. So that's number two. And my third final thing that I think the messianic movement will play a role in the last days is is that refocus on Torah living, um, this biblical ethics. Look, 
what we see in the world today, including in some, uh, shall we say, liberal Christian and, and liberal Jewish denominations, is just adoption of worldliness, worldly morals, which isn't really moral. It's, it's all relative morality, um, in my estimation. I think if we re- refocus on, hey, you know what, the Bible gives us a great way to live today, that that actually contributes to the end times. Here's why. In Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, P- Peter says, or the author of Second Peter says. It's Peter. Thanks. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't know if there's dispute about that, but okay. Uh, he says, I believe it's Peter. <laughs> all right, fair enough, good. <laughs> um, whatever the case, uh, I believe it's here by God, so I, it doesn't matter to me. But um, he says, look, everything's going to pass away in this world. Um, the world's going to be consumed by fire. Given all of these things will be destroyed, what kind of people should you be? I'm sure you're familiar with this passage, John. And, and he answers the question. He says, you should live your lives in holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. That holiness and godliness, I got to think, is biblical ethics. I don't know of a better standard of holiness and godliness, a better um, constitution for how to live, how to form a society, how to form families, how to form a civilization. I don't know of a better way than the biblical ethics of the Bible. And so I think Hebrew Roots uh, with its focus on a return to the Torah, is doing a great good and even contributing to a good for the last days. So those are my three things that the Messianic movement can and I hope will contribute to the last days. I agree with you 110% with mm-hmm. what you've just said. Awesome. Um, I really, I really, really do. And you brought out some things that I wasn't anticipating, but I'm glad you mentioned them uh, because as I contemplate, you know, this question, as it concerns the end times, what good, I'm sorry, that was the previous question. Uh, What role do you think today's Messianic and even Hebrew Roots movement is going to play in the last days Mm -hmm. leading up to the return of Yeshua? I am thinking more along the lines of how there is going to be some convergence between these widely divided groups of people. Okay. Okay. Because divided of, groups of people in the messianic movement, you mean? Or? Right. And the Hebrew yeah. roots movement. Sure. Okay. Because All right. on the yeah. whole, you know, many of the spinoffs from messianic Judaism that have now, you know, settled as being Hebrew roots, uh, you couldn't have prevented all of it, but you could have prevented some of it. And I know that this past 4th of July, I was talking with some, you know, very close Messianic Jewish friends of mine, you know, we were observing, we were having this great barbecue with the brisket that I smoked. They said it was one of the best I've ever done, but okay. (laughs) Um, I'm like, you know, if we didn't have this whole COVID mess, we would be up at the Messiah conference in Pennsylvania this, this week. And they're like, yeah, you know, you know, and we're like, yeah, we've been to the Messiah conference the past four years. And like, well, we've got you beat. You know, we've been going there for the past, you know, like 18 years, 20 years. Mm, I'm mm. like, yeah, I know, I know. And, (laughs) you know, our good friend who's been part of the MJAA for over 30 years. uh, But I said, you know, we don't know what the future beholds. But what I, one of the things the Lord's really stirred me about is, yeah, there are a lot of things about the Hebrew Roots movement that get people on the Messianic Jewish side upset. And it's not necessarily 
you know, while you're keeping Shabbat and you're observing the festivals and you're eating kosher, it pertains more to the legalism and the fundamentalism and this hype and sensationalism. Yeah. They just want you to come in and make sure that you're co-participants with them in the salvation of the Jewish people and yes. their relatives. Yes. I mean, that's, yes. I mean, if you can demonstrate mm. that you are genuinely concerned about that, then everything else will be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I was, I was talking to them. I said, you know, I interact with people across the spectrum all the time. And there are some Hebrew roots people who are only about a stone throw or two away from us. But when you put us all together, we're so small, it's not even funny. Mm. I mean, think about how, you know, we have a global Jewish population of, you know, what is it, 17, 18 million? Mm. On the books, there are over 30 million members of the Southern Baptist convention i mean <laughs> almost that's, double in I just mean, the southern baptists yeah. i mean for every one jew and we haven't even gotten into orthodox conservative yeah. all reform all that yeah, yeah, for every one jew general. there are two mm-hmm. southern baptists i mean come on here yeah yep. wow you know, i live in the wow. dallas fort worth area the dfw area is <clears throat> you know, five to six million people i mean we're the size of a small european country you know, we're the size of, I mean, we really yeah, are. I, I, I suppose, are. yeah, yeah. I mean, we're the size of Switzerland or Denmark or even Scotland or Ireland. I mean, it's like, when you think, when you think about that, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. You yes. know, uh, so just processing all this, I'm like, we have got to do a better job to get along here because we cannot be at each other's throats. Yep, I agree. Not yep, absolutely. Miss people over the smallest matters of BS. I mean, yes, we yes. have got been to, too much of that. We have got to talk to one another. And yep. you know, you yep. were gracious enough to you know, go on Messianic Insider for can Messianic Jews and Hebrew roots talk to each other? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very pleased that my local rabbi David Schiller, who's also on the board of Chosen People Ministries, is going to come on this week for that discussion. Uh, I'm really excited about the the uh, exchange we're going to have and uh, the, the positive dialogue I know we are going to be facilitating. But I just see as we get closer and closer to the Lord's return, there's going to be this contraction of the Messianic movement and Hebrew roots. And it's going to be like, how serious are you people with the mm. Romans 9, 10, and 11 trajectory? And mm. I know, you know, I mean, Paul said very clearly that he was willing to give up his own salvation if it, meant, right. this, if it meant the redemption of his corporate, you know, Jewish brothers and sisters. That's right. I yep. mean, that's severe. Yep. So if Paul is willing to give up his own redemption, his own salvation, surely some of the things that we picked up in our experience, they're not that big a deal. You're right, man. You know, I mean, uh, I'm really glad not. you highlighted that. Yep. You know, Paul it's, it's, says, I'd, I'd rather be cut off uh, if some of my brothers and sisters could be saved. Um, that, thank you for raising that because you're right. So many of the things that we do divide about that we hate the other group for that we don't like, we don't like these people. We don't talk to these people over um, relatively minor considering that Paul himself was willing to say, I'd rather be cut off from Messiah that some of them would be saved. Glad you highlighted that. So, I mean, so we have got to do better. And, and I do believe that there are people who want to do better. Mm-hmm. You know, they're seeing the reality of when we are in history. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I suppose I've been influenced a little bit, but when you interact with Jewish believers, particularly those from the former Soviet Union, 
Yes. And they see what is taking place here in America right now with, uh, you know, people posting, you know, memes on social media with hammer and sickle on it. They're mm-hmm. like, I mean, they're literally like, what the hell is this? What is going yeah. on here? I mean, we came yeah. to America to get away from this crap. That's um, right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so you see the Jewish experience and you're like, oh my goodness, I've got to start, I've got to start being a little more suspicious of the powers that be. I see. Yeah. So, you know, my, with my, them a great experience. Yeah. So my response to this is, you know, there's a, there's a contraction which is coming and we have got to learn mm. how to get along. Now I, I've got to say, I was not anticipating you to respond with we as the messianic movement have got to focus on the future resurrection of the dead. But I, but I, I'm pleasantly surprised. I think this is fabulous. I, mm, I, mm. I mean, this is fantastic. I'm so glad that you said what you said. I really, <laughs> I really have to commend you for this. Um, yes. I believe that when we die, we go to be with the presence of the Lord in heaven, but popular theology has totally forgotten this future resurrection of the dead. And Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. been saying for years, and it's almost like it hasn't even, you know, people haven't even been listening to this. It's like, Mm. you don't understand how important a resurrection of the dead is. Okay. Um, You know, I've had experiences with death, you know, the deathbed of my father, other Mm -hmm. believers, and they're, I I absolutely believe they're in the presence of the Lord right now. You know, at the same time, my own father as a lay minister would say, when you go to the cemetery, ask if you can rent. Ask if you can rent. I like that. Ask if <laughs> you right. can rent. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, one day it's going to be opened up. And, yes. and, you know, while we can get into the whole philosophy of, you know, human composition and why there has to be an afterlife in another Mm -hmm. dimension before the resurrection it's only at that point event called the second coming and resurrection of the dead that we see that all israel will be saved trajectory consummate Ah, and yeshua return so people might say well what does it matter you know my my you know grandma grandpa you know uncle fred they're saved they're in the presence of jesus why do i need to focus on the resurrection no you don't understand in order for all these other future things to take place, there has to be a resurrection of the dead. That's right. Um, I mean, you have to, it's yep. part of the events. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm very happy that you mentioned that. And hopefully we can have a future uh, show discussing death and the afterlife and all the different that things. That might be good. That because be I good. think people would be very blessed by some of our perspectives on this. Yeah. Okay, so our final inquiry Um you know, this is where we're probably going to go into the forbidden zone a little bit, but that's mm-hmm. okay. That's why we do these things. You know, the Jewish perspective is, well, just let's talk about it, okay? Let's not put it off yeah. indefinitely. Yes, yes. What further studies or investigations do you believe need to take place regarding the end times? Sorry, John. One second. My three-year-old just wandered into the room, even though my door was closed. One moment. Go with the steps, okay? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, okay. So what further studies or investigation do, you, do I th- think need to take place regarding the end times? Um, first, uh, I'm convinced that too much of our end times 
thinking takes the form of, of prophecy rather than analysis, as you highlighted, John, I think that's a good way of putting it, that we can refocus on analyzing things, the, 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 the text of scripture, where we're at in history, without getting into the saith the Lord type stuff. Um, we have too many false prophets and we've, there's just too much bad fruit in our current mode of study, which seems to just be all excitement about some event that must be near. Again, I'm all for being excited about the Lord and anticipation of the Lord, but um, too much of our current mode of study results in bad fruit, false prophecies, and so on, as we've covered. Um, so I, I think our mode needs to change, and I think we already, you, you really un- underline that, that we can analyze these things without being prophets. Okay. Uh, two, um, I think it's helpful in our study of the end times if we recognize that humans are famous for misinterpreting prophecy. I, I mentioned that I relayed that to a dear family member who I re- much respect. Um, her belief, her feeling that the Lord would return at a certain date. It was actually a Sukkot coming up a few years ago, obviously didn't happen. This is important because think about how in the first century when the Lord appeared, how the religious people of his day largely, especially religious leadership, opposed him. Um, Some even had a hand in putting him to death. It makes me think with a great deal of caution that, look, these were people who study the scriptures, talked about the scriptures, had their identity wrapped up in belief in God, and they so deeply missed Messiah. Isn't it then possible, again, trying to think about this rationally, isn't it then possible that the religious people of our day also could miss the Messiah, misinterpret prophecy, think one thing is coming, but something else comes. We have to be prepared for some unexpected things, shall we say. And I think that's um, one thing that our study has to keep in mind. You know, I've, I've often had this philosophy, it's not original to me, this philosophy of it's okay to have strong opinions, but have them weakly held, meaning if new evidence presents itself, be willing to let go of that strong opinion. And I think that really applies to the end times, especially because we've so often misinterpreted prophecy. Final thing for me is with regards to what further studies or investigations need to take place is um, look, as, as it says in, in 2 Peter 3, that we can, we can figure out how we are going to live now. We can still have that joy and anticipation and even excitement that the Lord is going to return. Um, but we must not, uh, that must not be our full identity of um, our, our, our entire focus. I feel some people get so wrapped up in the end times that they're the end times person. I, I literally know people at congregations back in Minnesota that they are the end times person. It's like, hold on, hold on. How are you living your life now? Um, how are you treating the people around you? How are you contributing to the kingdom of God right now? Like right now, what in your life is contributing uh, to God's kingdom? To me, that, uh, that needs to not be neglected when we look at the end times. I feel too many people get wrapped up in the excitement and neglect just how to live today. 
Um, so those are three things that I think with regards to investigation study, when we talk about the end times that we can improve those three things. I completely agree with what you've just said. And, you know, it's not that we want to see people abusing or sensationalizing the end times result in, well, we're not going to talk about this at all. There's Mm -hmm. got to be some responsible way for us to approach this subject matter because Mm -hmm. the stakes really are quite high. Um, We're talking about the final battle of good and evil on planet earth here, Mm -hmm. you know, before the millennium. I mean, we're talking Mm -hmm. about something very big. So of course the enemy would like us to just, I'm not going to deal with that. Or as some people say, well, I'm pan trib. It'll all pan out in the end. We've all heard that before. Uh, But for myself, as I've approached this question, uh, what further studies or investigations do you think need to take place regarding the end times? Mm-hmm. You know, because there are the there are the common things that all of us know about regarding the last days. Uh, some of us even some of us have like a Schofield reference Bible or uh, a Ryrie study Bible, or I've even got a Tim LaHaye study Bible. I've got all three of them, and there's some mm-hmm. kind of a tribulation chart in that Bible. And okay, so they're all pre-trib and I don't ascribe to that, but there's still going to be things that we agree with and that we have in common and that we know, okay, there's going to be some kind of judgment here and there's going to be the fall of Babylon there and the rise of the beast and this and that. Okay, that's great. Um, And some of us have just readjusted some components of that. Sure. What about the things that are very clearly when we read them in the text of Holy scripture are unfulfilled. And mm. there's a basis for us determining that they're unfulfilled, but yet we're really not able to easily talk about them. And the reason we're not able to easily talk about them is precisely because of sensationalism and hype and people, they take this issue or they take that subject and they form a whole ministry about around it. And then they go off to these conspiracy theory conferences yes, and they yeah. do this crap and that BS and everything else. Now, because of the abuse of some of these subjects, a lot of people are like, I'm not even going to touch that subject matter. And it's like, now, wait a second. I understand that you may not necessarily be prone to embrace the perspectives offered by this person or that voice, but you still got to deal with the Bible passages. I mean, come that's on right. here. Yep. I mean, you still got to deal with this. Yep. Um, I mean, that that's like saying that, oh, there are all these snake oil salesmen out there who are offering cures for cancer. Well, cancer doesn't exist. Mm, like, right. I mean, yeah. On. We're throwing out. I mean, yeah, that's I dumb. Gotcha. That's yep. just dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, I've got, Two particular issues that, in my Messianic experience, have been kind of off-limits or verboten even uh, out there that I would have to say, at the very least, are tests regarding our attitude and our approach. If you can believe it, one of the first significant tests that a lot of people have failed, uh, either on the pro or con side, have been you know, as Messianic people, we're very prone to look at Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14, the dry bones prophecy. Oh, okay. this is the rebirth of the state of Israel. This is the return of the Jewish people to the Holy Land. Amen. I believe that. But then we get to 15 through 28. 
and it's the two stick oracle of yeah. Judah and Ephraim. Now mm-hmm. we know there's a lot of sensationalism associated with that prophecy. Certainly, okay. Yeah, yeah we've there, seen abuse. Yeah. There are non-Jews out there who claim that they are members of the lost tribes. They have no proof whatsoever. They had some mm-hmm. dream or vision or some feeling. And mm-hmm. okay. But if you can believe it, a great number of premillennial, even dispensational prophecy teachers who think that the church is going to be raptured up to heaven before all this takes place. Even they recognize that the two-stick oracle is unfulfilled in Bible prophecy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and it's, and it's not what the two house groups have said. They are just simply looking at fulfilled or unfulfilled. That's all they're looking at. Okay. Yep. Yep. We've got has some of those have to be, I mean, specifically with Ezekiel 37, some of it is has to be still unfulfilled because Ezekiel 37 speaks about my servant David uh, will reign over them, which seems to, again, if we're understanding prophecy well here, seems to suggest it's Messiah reigning over them, which clearly isn't happening now. So there's, there's still unfulfilled things. I'm glad right. you raised that one. I Good. mean, you don't have to go into British Israel or lost tribes yes. hunting in order to just Okay, it's unfulfilled. That it's unfulfilled. Yep, you know, and good. even I have said, you know, what if the lost tribes are just in these small pockets of people across the Middle East and Africa and, and sure. India and India. South, mm-hmm. you know, and Afghanistan and everything. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's actually what Jonathan Burness of Jewish Voice Ministries believes. Like, oh, fascinating. If, you know, what if that is the fulfillment? Yeah. You know, but on the whole, today's Messianic community has done it hasn't done a great job at, you know, addressing this, you know, people have called, Oh, you're into the two shticks. It's like, no, wait a second. You know, I am not into all this two house propaganda and Mm -hmm. speculation, but still, what do you do about the Bible passages? Yes. People who have produced, you know, thousand page or 2000 page commentaries on the book of Ezekiel, they have had to deal with it. So you got to deal with it too. And and to me, it's like, if you can't deal with something like this, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a half of a chapter. It's pretty big. What's going to happen if God in the end times throws a curveball at us? Mm, Because mm. I'm sorry, any analyst recognizes, well, there are all these things out there that we've talked about. We don't know if they're going to happen or not. You know, God has surprised us so many times in our lives. I mean, he really has. I mean, look at the history of all these, you know, particularly in the U.S. government archives, things that are being declassified. Mm. You know, the U.S. government ran war plans on, well, what if the United States and the British Empire in the 1930s go to war with one another? And we have to invade Canada. It's like, they what? planned for... <laughs> I mean, it's like, what? I mean, you wasted time and money on this? I mean, that was never going to happen. You know, yeah. and you see some of the things that, you know, and troops from India were going to be brought into, you know, Ontario and... Wow. I mean, it's just like, I mean, okay. So if governments think in terms of these things that will just never happen... yeah we as Bible believers need to be prepared for the unexpected. We just do. And I know that like one of the biggest areas that has been completely sensationalized and completely taken off the rails 
uh, has been. And this is something that I, I'm very, very cautious about. And, I, and I've looked into this, particularly from various conservative to hyper-conservative Christian voices, is I was exposed to this all the way back in 1997. What do you do about all the different possible components of what Yeshua says about the days of Noah in the Olivet Discourse? Now, a lot of us look at the days of Noah as only involving, you know, marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking and the flood came and it, you know, swept them all away. And so the end times are going to come when people are just living their lives as normal and then it catches them off guard and then, you know, it's going to hit them. But, you know, one of the things that I know people talk about is, well, I went back to the book of Genesis and there are these references in Genesis to the Nephilim. What mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are big debates about the Nephilim. Uh, many people believe that the sons of God having relations with the daughters of men means that the godly line of Seth had relations with the not-so-godly line of Cain, and it produced a bunch of evil people. I saw your podcast about this. Yep, I, you talked about some of the perspectives out there. But then another you know, and there is a huge amount of ancient opinion out there, which believes that fallen angels had relations with human females and it produced a race of giants. And Mm -hmm. the way I have seen that presented has been, well, in the last days, if we're going along the narrative of the days of Noah, then the Nephilim are going to make some kind of a reappearance. And along with that reappearance, the most logical way that they would manifest would be in the form of extraterrestrial alien encounters and Mm. different abductions, the whole UFO Mm. thing. Mm. And there are many conservative evangelicals who have at least floated that out there as a possibility. Now, out there in the whole Hebrew Roots movement, you got people like Rob Skiba and others who have formed an entire ministry around this, and they've gotten to Flat Earth and everything else. Mm-hmm. However, you and I, Judah, I mean, we're science fiction aficionados. Yes. I mean, we really are. And, you know, I, you know, I watch Star Trek and Star Wars and I, I remember, you know, I, I watched Babylon 5 and uh, sure. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica and yeah. Stargate. I watched all of these. And, you know, people from our generation, we are affixed to what is out there in the universe yeah yeah it is a great question and so there's a part of me there there's Mm. just a part of me that says you know it's absolutely imperative for us in terms of the end times to have this israel component down i mean you know we discuss that all the time as messianics Mm -hmm. but what if there is something to this cosmic component fascinating i mean what what if and and you know, so, you know, I'm not saying, and I'm, or, you know, have, have things been hidden from us at Area 51? I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. you know, we have already had as a human civilization covert relations with quote unquote extraterrestrials, but mm-hmm. I am saying that there is something to this cosmic component relati- mm-hmm. related to the end times that we can't so easily dismiss. 
Interesting. That may be an area for more study. I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I when I first hear that stuff, because I've encountered it in perhaps some right negative context, that I'm always just knee jerk of nope. I'm not even going to consider it. Um, stepping back a moment to try to I don't know logically uh, analyze it, we could say okay, there could be more, and there could be you know there could be life out there. Perhaps that. Uh, is tied to uh, the days of Noah, maybe. Um, never considered it before. So interesting. Uh, it's given me food for thought, at least. Right. And, I, I, and I'm just saying that we need to be willing to discuss it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and maybe, just maybe, if you know, the Lord is going to be gracious to us and we're going to enter into a season where we have the relative freedom before the crash comes, it's going to be so we can troubleshoot all of these perhaps unforeseen areas mm-hmm. because I have believed for a long time, uh, even without the whole, you know, quote unquote Nephilim phenomenon, I have believed, sure. that, you know, what are people going to do when some probe that goes out into our solar system, mm-hmm. what is it going to do when it brings back microbes from Mars or mm-hmm. it brings back proteins from Ganymede or you know some other you know celestial body yeah. what is yeah. that going to do to our understanding of who we are as a human civilization in this universe that's it's going to shake up thing. a lot of people so it, it's it within that framework that we're trying to have this discussion because mm-hmm. the deception that is coming is going to be so great uh we just cannot afford to at least not you know, floated out there as an important issue that needs to be addressed. Some things. Yeah. Um, it'll need to be done in the right context and also with the right, maybe without the wrong people present. I think sometimes it's very easy for us to turn off people because we sound crazy if we start talking about extraterrestrial life. Um, and for good reason, because there's been a lot of craziness around that. Right. Absolutely. Um, so it'll have to be raised in the right context. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what you raise is, is, is a wonderful point, which is if life both either way, it's a, it's a big thing for humanity. If we don't find life anywhere, that's a big thing that in fact, there's a, there's a whole um, scientific quan, uh, conundrum actually of, well, hold on. The universe is this big. How, surely there's life somewhere. And if there isn't, why, why is this? Um, that That's a well-known discussion point in science. But likewise, as you raised, if we do find life, uh, wh- what does that mean for believers that God created life elsewhere? Or there's all kinds of questions raised. So it'll be interesting to see what the future holds there. Right. And I think a lot of people in the faith community, who at least do I interact with, if all of a sudden a, a, a flying saucer landed on the White House lawn, take me to your leader, they would be inclined to think that this was some kind of demonic deception and it's mm-hmm. tied into the end time scenario. And right yeah. now I am inclined to believe that way. Mm-hmm. But at the yeah. same time, when you consider the vastness of the universe, is there some kind of a cosmic element that we just avoid incessantly that we need to be talking about. And I know that if you look at some of the discussions that take place in the synagogue, as well as in evangelicalism, there are people who have these 
talks. I mean, mm-hmm. they do. Mm-hmm. So the Messianic community doesn't need to be behind the curve as much as it is anymore. We got to we've got to use this time to to bring these subjects out and to legitimately contemplate if the deception is going to be that great. Could the enemy use aliens and UFOs and this whole Nephilim thing? We're mm-hmm. not going to resolve that today, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good things to think about. Um, and I certainly agree on your first point too, with regards to Ezekiel 37, that there is, it's just a recognition that some things there are still unfulfilled. Um, and and what does that mean for the last days? Good. These are good points. John, I, I, I got to say, I, I go, going into this podcast, I'm, I was mostly one of those people who was like, I'm just kind of turned off from end times because of all the craziness. Um, this has been actually a discussion that um, turned me back on to it a bit. So I'm, I'm really glad we had this. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that. And, and I know that what we're trying to do is we're trying to facilitate solutions, mm-hmm. but we know that, you know, we've witnessed over several decades, perhaps a lot of abuse, a lot of sensationalism and hype. We're trying to get beyond that. But we're but we are still trying to address the subject matter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good. Ladies and gentlemen, you have tolerated us long enough. <laughs> you have put up with us long enough. Whenever Judah and I get together, we can just go on and on and on. Uh, truly but, truly in fact i was like hey i want to say some more about the the resurrection of the dead and christianity and judaism i'm like you know what? it would go two three hours if we do we better put put a bottle cap on it so <laughs> but the good thing is this is not the end of the messianic walk show uh i'm just absolutely amazed how naturally we talk about these issues and how much we we really do agree and uh, other things we know are just con- they just continue to be in process. I'm I'm very blessed, and and I'm and I'm very pleased to see that that's how this show has been going. Yeah. So uh, you will have to just continue to wait for the next time we gather together for another episode of the Messianic Walk. Until then, be sure to check out Judah's blog Kinati Letzion at blog.judagabriel.com. You can also access my website, Messianic Apologetics at messianicapologetics.net. Shalom to you. May God bless you and keep the faith as always. Shalom, everybody. Bye-bye.